I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Welcome to a really amazing episode of Beauty Bosses. This is one that I personally am so excited about because we're interviewing one of my heroes, uh, Alexandra Wilkes-Wilson. Many of you guys know about Alexandra because she's a co-founder of two mega amazing companies, uh, Guilt and, and Glam Squad. So the Guilt Group, it was kind of this amazing company that was really the progenitor of creating flash sample sales online and um, made a huge footprint, um, got sold to um, Hudson Bay Corporation in 2016. And Glam Squad, as any fabulous New Yorker knows, um, keeps you looking beautiful. Um, so welcome, Alexandra. Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm uh, deeply honored to be here and very inspired by you. Feelings super mutual. Oh, you're so sweet. Um, well, you know, as you know, on Beauty Bosses, the point of this show is really to understand a little bit about your story. So, you know, I'll give a little bit of background, but what we really want to hear about is how you, um, a private individual, created this amazing footprint in the world of beauty. So, you grew up in New York City, you went to Harvard undergrad. And after college, tell us how you got from there to Guilt Group. <laughs> um, sure. So it, it, it's a little bit of a um, circuitous route, but I, undergrad, studied Romance Languages and Literatures. Um, I actually studied Spanish, French, and Portuguese literature, and then went into investment banking, which uh, for many people is like, what? How, why would you make that, that kind of jump? Uh, but I was always interested in business, and um, I think one of the great things about Harvard is that it really is a liberal arts education, and so you can actually study what you love um, as opposed to focusing on, on more um, kind of a trade. Um, I love that, undergrad. too, because I was an English major in college at Yale, and I feel like you, it's a special time in your life where you get to learn something else, right? I, I think so, and it teaches you how to think and how to learn and how to um, you know, re really do, and uh, honestly, what I studied was almost like being an English major, just not in English. Um, it was the same kind of, of thinking, a lot of reading, um, analytics, etc. Um, I, I spent a lot, a lot of time in the 19th century um, <laughs> reading, and, um, and then went into investment banking, and I guess the, the common thread was I worked initially focused on Latin America and then moved to London um, covering different types of businesses, um, mostly telecoms, media, and technology, um, but got getting to use my language skills. So that uh, that was sort of the, the, the common thread between, between what I studied undergrad and then doing banking, um, which I did for three years. And uh, I think it was a great experience for a 22-year-old to learn how to be professional, but um, I would say that I learned it wasn't my passion, um, and I, I never felt like I was a rock star, um, so to speak, at banking, and I always felt um, like there was probably something out there professionally where I could really um, feel a lot more confident in 
my abilities, my skill set, my my intuition. Um, so I went to business school, went back to Harvard, um, couldn't get enough, and really spent those two years in grad school um, very determined to try to get into the retail, beauty, fashion industry. Um, ironically, I wasn't really thinking about startups. So Alexis Maybank, who's one of my best friends and, and my Gilt co-founder, we, we, we had five, we were five co-founders at Gilt. Um, she was very focused on entrepreneurship and on, took all the venture capital and startup and entrepreneurial classes, whereas I was taking a lot around retail, marketing, um, and innovation. And so um, I ended up after business school, I worked for Louis Vuitton, then I worked for Bulgari, and then in 2007, got together with Alexis Maybank and my three other co-founders, and we came together as a team. Um, you'll see kind of my, my career is very much about being a part of and building teams. I'm not um, you know, an individual contributor. I think I, I bring out the best in others, and others bring out the best in me. Um, and that was 2007. And, and since then, it's been an amazing, wild roller coaster ride of startups and the digital world and beauty and fashion and and you're kind of a serial entrepreneur. Would you would you agree with that? <laughs> yeah. So I I've been I've co-founded three companies, um, Gilt being the first, and then I've been involved. Um, one thing that I think is so fantastic um, is that when we were starting Gilt, I didn't have that many role models who were female entrepreneurs. I'm sure I'm sure they existed. I just didn't necessarily know of them. I certainly didn't know them. Um, and now, fast forward 11 years later, there are so many incredibly inspiring, successful, creative, um, well-known female founders and who are building really exciting businesses, um, some in beauty and fashion, but others in, in different types of industries as well. Um, and many of them are in New York, some, some West Coast, of course, as well. And we really have this incredibly supportive ecosystem, I think, where we feel like we have each other's back and we, you know, we share a lot of our learnings with one another. So um, I've co-founded three businesses, but I've been peripherally involved either as an angel investor or a mentor or an advisor to um, over 50 startups. So That's amazing. It's fun. I love it. I'm I addicted. love that too. Okay, let's um, hone in on guilt for a minute because this was sort of your first big splash into the world of entrepreneurship. Um, tell everybody a little bit about what guilt is. Sure. So I'll tell you about the guilt um, that we that we launched because yeah. the guilt of today has, has evolved a little bit. Um, but essentially, we, the five co-founders, um, we together launched an online version of what we knew back then to be New York City sample sales. So we were creating this um, members-only online um, community where you could buy really exciting brands for fantastic prices. So anywhere from, let's say, 60 to 80% off. And we would sell... Uh, these brands, we started focused on women's fashion, and then we expanded into a lot of other categories like men's and kids and home decor, and then we had travel, and we did some other experiments, some that didn't work as well. Um, and we, we really curated what we thought was the best of the best. So I spent a lot of my time traveling the country, often traveling um, the world, trying to convince um, the most coveted brands to trust us with with selling their inventory online and for really special pricing. 
So that's amazing. And how did you guys get together, the five of you, and come up with this idea? And what did those early days look like when, when guilt was something that no one had ever heard of? Sure. So uh, the five of us came together. Alexis, Maybank, and I were really dear friends. Um, we'd met actually as undergrads and then in business school. We were pretty much inseparable. Um, and then another set of two friends, um, our CTO, Mike Brizik, and Fong Nguyen. Um, so they were our engineering brains. And then a man named Kevin Ryan, who um, gave us our seed funding, and he was initially our chairman. He later became CEO. And he'd had a track record of um, co-founding and, and leading um, digital uh, companies. So the five of us came together um, and really through uh, a lot of brainstorming and iterations came to launch what, what ultimately became, became Guilt. We launched the business as quickly as we could. So we moved very, very fast. Um, we, we had heard of a company called Vente Privé in, in France, um, and we were told that um, it was going to come and launch in the U.S., so it took them a while to actually do that, but we, we really um, were motivated by speed and speed to market, and we, we launched the business within a few minutes, I'm sorry, minutes would be impossible, <laughs> a few months of, um, of really kind of coming together with the, with the idea. Um, and the reality is we were a teeny tiny startup in our early days and you know not everything was perfect not everything was um, fully baked when we when we launched the business our returns process wasn't even um, fully coded uh, the engineers felt like oh they'd have a few extra days to um, wait for the consumers to actually receive their packages to then potentially want to return them so you know it was um, Startup world is, is a little crazy with um, a little bit of chaos, which which was new to me because I'm a little bit of um, I don't want to say control freak, but I like I like um, I'd say I like the opposite of chaos. I like order, but I've learned over the past eleven years to to just roll with chaos and um, ideally try to predict it to put in place as much order and process as possible in advance. But you can't always do that. Yeah. So how did guilt grow so fast. In 2007, it was a brand new company. And by the time we fast forward to 2016, at one point you had a valuation of a billion dollars. How did you do that? So I think it was a perfect storm of um, a lot of different factors. We, um, it, it was a great idea. Um, and, a, and a lot of other different companies had, um, had you know, were interested in ideas of this, whether they were focused on specific product categories like home decor or kids. Um, you know, the idea was exciting. Um, we had an amazing team, starting with our initial small team and then founding team as it expanded. And then at one point we had 1,300 employees. And, amazing. you know, we still, we still do these um, kind of quarterly guilt reunions. And when I see everybody come back together, like we had amazing talent, really smart, ambitious, hungry, dedicated um, employees who were so, so, so passionate um, about what we were building together. And we had a lot of fun. It was very much like a work hard, play hard, um, in a good way, uh, team team uh, dynamic. Um, so I think the, the reality also is that we started the business just before um, kind of 
the, the world started to have these different um, macroeconomic challenges and setbacks. So um, if we, we were getting momentum and a little bit of awareness and press and we were starting to be, I want to say like the, the, cool, the cool kids in town, but a little bit of this members only news site that um, a lot of people interested in fashion in New York City heard about early. Um, we didn't have big marketing budgets. We were you know, really, really doing all of our marketing um, as close to for free as possible. So we tried to make it seem like it was this special um, site where you could only join if you were invited by an existing friend. But the reality is that was also the most cost-effective way for us to um, get the word out. Uh, but then um, the actual brands who initially were I would say cautious or hesitant about wanting to sell with us. They were suffering, so they had excess inventory, and they were a lot more open-minded about working with us as they started having their own financial troubles when starting with uh, Bear Stearns and then Lehman Brothers and then all kinds of other challenges in, in the economy. So it was kind of a perfect storm of an amazing idea with a favorable economic climate and all this stuff happening at once. It, it definitely was, and then even consumers, um, you know, were being a little bit more frugal and didn't maybe want to spend as much money. And, and even consumers who had a lot of money but didn't want to be so conspicuous conspicuous about shopping, they were maybe more interested in shopping online and felt less guilty if they were shopping at the prices that we offered. And kind of walking around the streets of New York with big shopping bags was was not. Um, maybe looked so highly upon. Yeah, so, a little gauche maybe. A little bit. Yeah. So that, that, there's all factors that came together. It's so interesting because I feel like guilt is this really paradoxical, um, interesting concept because on one hand, it really democratizes high fashion in the sense that it allows a lot of people to have access to some of the best brands out there at much more affordable prices. But on the other hand, there's this cachet and exclusivity about guilt because it was invitation only, a little bit of a curated exclusive group. So um, I think that's so brilliant of you guys to sort of encompass both, you know, both halves, the yin and the yang. It's hard to do, but we, we, we spent a lot of time thinking through that. We never yeah. wanted to be snooty either. We were always very careful of our voice and the words we used. You know, it was... Um, exclusive in the sense that it was all about early adoption and people in the know and um, discovering new brands and, and, and whatnot, but we never um, wanted anyone to feel um, unwelcome once they were part of the site. And if they weren't familiar with a certain designer, we, we would tell our consumers about the designer and why, why it was a special designer. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Okay, so you had guilt. And how did Glam Squad come about? Yeah, so Glam Squad launched in 2014, uh, initially in New York City, doing in-home blowouts. And I was first an advisor um, to Glam Squad. I was um, still at Guilt and trying to think through. I've been at Guilt seven years. I was thinking through, what am I going to do after this this you know really incredible career experience and um, was thinking about all sorts of possibilities, and I think any stage you are at your career, um, making a change is, is hard, and it can be scary, and um, I really felt like um, I wanted to make the right decision, and I had been thinking about venture capital, 
Um, I knew my, my heart was interested in, in startups, but I didn't necessarily um, know what that would be. And as an advisor to Glam Squad, I found myself like truly falling in love with the business, the business model, the team, the possibility for, um, for what it could become. And so I had gone to college with two of the co-founders and um, basically they came to me, they, I was pretty open with them that I was trying to figure out my, my next chapter uh, when I left Gil and they said, you know, we'd love you to join us and, um, you know, join us as our CEO and we'll make you a co-founder and it was really the early days of Glam Squad and, um, you know, pretty quickly it felt like the right next chapter for me and um, was very, very exciting and, and so I joined, I guess, September 2014 and then we really quickly raised our Series A um, and then Series B and so I was there uh, for two years and we expanded um, to other cities um, so uh, and then also to other service categories so today fast forward um, for all those listening since I know this is beauty bosses <laughs> um, Glam Squad is in New York, LA, Miami, Washington DC and Boston more markets and it offers in-home hair, um, makeup, and nails, so manicures and pedicures. Yeah, so. and it's incredibly popular. I mean, just anecdotally, as a New Yorker, I hear people talking about Glam Squad all the time when they're getting ready for a big event or anything. Yeah, and it's tapped into something that people want. I think for, for those of us who are time-starved, whether it's professionally, personally, um, juggling all kinds of um, obligations, responsibilities, uh, working moms, etc. It's a really, it's a really great service. So I still use it all the time. Although I'm now no longer operationally involved, so um, but I'm still, I'm still a loyal user. How do you decide when you have a really successful, amazing company? You know, it's obvious how you decide to get into it because it's a great idea and it's attractive. But how do you decide when it's time for you to take your exit? Like either sell the company or step away from the company and have others be in charge of it? So I think for each person and even each venture, it's different. Um, you know, I, I, I left Glam Squad um, because, for two reasons. One, we had, I was planning to stay. We brought on, I passed the baton to Amy Schechter as um, CEO because she really had fantastic experience scaling local businesses to, to other markets. And I was planning to stay on um, at the company and then um, wasn't, wasn't looking to leave, but um, through a number of conversations um, paired up with uh, a man named Michael Klein, who has founded, I think, 13 companies. And together, um, we worked on, on building two ventures. So one um, which uh, was called FITS, which we sold pretty quickly. Um, within a year, we sold it to Tradesy, which is an online reseller. Um, we, we ended up selling Fits to Tradesy before we really scaled it. We proved out the model in New York, um, but really didn't, for a number of different reasons, didn't raise um, the capital to scale it and figured that it was the, the asset that we created was more valuable to, to a reseller. So. Um, so that was great. And then um, kind of haphazardly, I, through a number of conversations, 
got introduced to um, senior leadership uh, at Allergan, which is now where I'm working. Yeah, um, that's what we're going to talk about next, and that's how we met, actually. That is right? how we met. Yes, you're you're one of um, Allergan's, I think, favorite doctors. So, oh yeah, um, one of my favorite habits. Um, so we met at an advisory board for Allergan, and tell us a little bit about your role with Allergan now, because you've um, shifted gears a little bit. I've totally shifted gears, um, and. I'm having so much fun, I really am. So uh, for, for those of you who don't know what Allergan is, and, and don't be ashamed because I think a lot of consumers aren't necessarily familiar with the company, um, but you probably are familiar with some of the products. Um, it's a large pharmaceutical company um, with a, a large medical aesthetics practice which uh, owns products like Botox and Juvederm, Cool Sculpting, um, Kybella, etc. So my title is SVP of Consumer Strategy and Innovation and I can't really tell you too much but um, I am working on building three um, digital beauty startups this year and having so much fun, learning so much, hiring an amazing team um, to build these startups and, and I'm learning about your world which is amazing. Yeah, so that's really interesting um, because you are going from a very entrepreneurial space to a, a, a brand of entrepreneurship within a company. So we're going to be so excited to hear about what happens next. It's totally different. I think for me, I, I have to be learning. I have to be meeting people. I have to feel like um, I'm innovating and adding value. And I think that's what keeps me engaged in, in projects and when I feel like um, I could be adding more value somewhere else um, you know that's where maybe I get itchy but I, I think I have a long road ahead of me uh, with an allergen because we're, we have a lot to, to accomplish. A lot to accomplish. Yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about some of the setbacks and less rosy times you've had um, because it's very easy to look at someone who's so successful you and feel like life was just paved for them um, and that every road was you know green lights only and did you ever have stumbling blocks or times when you felt like things were not going well oh my gosh um, I mean every day all the time <laughs> I think uh, you know we um, it's easy to think that other people's lives or careers look so exciting and glamorous or easy and, and the reality is it's it's really hard work and building startups, building teams, um, going through different stages of, of growth um, or lack of growth, it's really hard and um, it can sometimes be a little bit lonely for some people. You don't always know who to turn to for advice, um, especially if you're doing something that's relatively new. Um, you don't necessarily have a playbook or, or role models um, to, to kind of emulate. So, I mean, there's so many examples. I think, um, you know, I've had to learn so, so much over the years, whether it's um, how to keep um, investors happy, how to fundraise, how to, um, how to hire people, how to deliver tough messages, how to, um, you know, I think for me, delivering tough messages to, to anyone, to a team member, to an employee, to 
um, an investor, you know, that that doesn't come naturally to me. I mm -hmm. um, if I if I can choose good cop, bad cop, I'll always prefer to, to play good cop. Um, so that's that's been something I've learned with experience, and sometimes you can get coaching on that. Um, you can you can coach uh, yeah. your among team members. Um, if you have an HR person, they can help you. Um, but it's really really important, and I I know for myself, I actually love receiving the the tough messages um, because I think it makes me better. And it's taken me a while to realize that you know what goes around comes around. If I'm always painting rosy pictures to my team they're not necessarily um, going to, to do their best. And so we, we all often want to know how we could be doing better. Um, and you can, you can paint that as a glass half, glass half full. It doesn't necessarily have to be negative. You can always start with positive reinforcement. But um, yeah, there, I can't even think of like one specific story to share because um, startups are really, really, really hard. Um, you can question everything from um, the business model, how to do customer acquisition. All the startups I've been involved in have really been consumer facing. Um, so they've all required um, you know, telling a story to consumers, engaging consumers. And nowadays, you know, if you pull if, if one were to pull out their iPhone or, or Android um, and you look at how many apps you have and how many emails you get, we're all bombarded with so many choices out there. There, there's really a lot of, um, of, of distracting messages and stories and new apps to try, new concepts, et cetera. And so how, how do you get the next new thing um, out there and kind of through all the noise? And how do you do it in a unique way? So, um, so I think startups are, are um, you know, always challenged to come up with um, something that's new and different and special. And, um, Consumers, I think, are getting, um, in some ways, more demanding because they can be because there've been so many great innovations over the years. Yeah, what's some advice you have um, for young people who are interested in entrepreneurship? Like, what are three specific things that you think they should be doing or thinking about? So, for someone interested in entrepreneurship, um, I would say uh, first and foremost, build your network. Um, so this is something I believe um, very much in. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you live, you can still build your network. You can, um, you can talk to people you, um, you know, might meet, whether it's at um, an event, at your school, at, um, you know, on a plane ride, train ride, bus ride, it doesn't matter. Um, you can talk to the person next to you and, and um, you know, build connections. And it really, I believe we're all going to be as successful as those around us want us to be. So mm -hmm. the more powerful um, your network, um, the, the, the better off you're going to be, especially when you need help. And all of us who are entrepre entrepreneurs know you're going to need help a lot. Um, and that, you know, that's really important. Um, number two, I, I would say along the lines of asking for help, um, I always tell my team members, if you don't ask, you don't get. Um, you cannot expect good things to just fall in your lap. You know, you earlier it looks like I've had success um, you know I, I will say I, I'm an incredibly hard worker um, every um, little little success that I might have had I feel like I had to work very 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 hard for um, I don't feel like good things ever fall in my lap um, so you know and that's not necessarily something that people see um, 
is the hard work that yeah that's so important (laughs) it's so behind the scenes right you see the fruits of the hard work and you completely forget on the outside looking in about all of the labor that went into it yeah Yeah. i can only imagine medical school how hard that is um in in your case but um there there aren't really shortcuts i think for hard work um and then the third thing well i kind of want to do more than three but the third i guess keep going (laughs) this is good the the third would be um along the lines of of figuring out what you're good at yeah um and what you enjoy doing and, and ideally both you know what you enjoy doing and what you're good at and that takes time i didn't i didn't get to that till i was 30 years old until we got to, to my guilt chapter. I was learning that along the way. I was learning skill sets. I was learning things I didn't like. I was learning um, you know, different bosses that I had over the years that um, I didn't necessarily want to become, who weren't exactly my role models. And then I was learning tactics that I did appreciate and I did like, and I was kind of storing that all away. Um, but the sooner, you know, I'm really um, happy when I meet young um, individuals coming out of college or um, a few years into the workforce and they know very clearly what they want and what they're good at, um, that for me was was harder. Um, and then I would just say um, to have fun, you know, like work honestly should be fun and it's easier said than done, but if you can enjoy your work, it, it doesn't feel as much like work. Um, I mean, yes, of course, it's alarm clock rings and maybe that's a little painful but if you love what you're working on if you love your team members if you're inspired if you're learning if you're um, challenged in a good way you know that's amazing and you get paid for it too like wow what a, what a perk um, and you know in some in some cases you can almost think of working as an extension of your education um, you just get yeah. paid for it as opposed to paying for it um, yeah and I, I mean of course I guess my final comment would be experience. So if you really want to work in an entrepreneurial environment and maybe you don't have an idea yet, um, that doesn't mean you can't be an entrepreneur and it doesn't mean you can't be entrepreneurial. I think um, it's really valuable to, um, to, to, work from, uh, to work for others and um, be part of an early stage team. So if you can get some sort of an internship, um, obviously it depends on where your listeners are and so you know, it could be um, young listeners coming out of school, it could be, um, you know, women who maybe have stopped working and have um, focused on other families and then want to get back into the, the workforce. And so I think getting some experience um, and also having um, consumer insights is really important. So download those apps as a consumer, be an early adopter, be knowledgeable, read a lot. Yeah, that, those are all such amazing pearls of advice. Um, when you were in your roles at um, Fitz, Glam Squad, and Guilt, um, you mentioned that you focused on building the companies, and particularly at Guilt, you mentioned that you tried to do that for as close to free as possible. So I'm wondering um, if you have any insights into the world of marketing and press on a low cost or no cost level sure so the world has changed a lot yeah since, totally. since, uh, since we launched guilt um, you know I think social media has opened up so much opportunity for 
for brands, and brands can be companies, they can be individuals. Um, so I think, you know, and, and sometimes youth has the advantage of, of just being better at, at social media. It's more native, it's more intuitive. Um, you know, the Snapchat culture, the Instagram stories um, facility with, with posting online and not being um, maybe as private. So social media, yes, of course, you can pay for performance marketing, but you could start generating some sort of a following um, through through social. So depending on the type of business, you know, I would say Instagram, if it's visual, Instagram, um, even Pinterest, um, Facebook. Um, it seems like the demographics of Facebook are getting a little older um, than millennials. So if you're more millennial focused in terms of an audience, maybe it's a little bit more like Snapchat and, and Instagram. But it's good to test everything. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, there's Twitter too. Um, and, and a smart brand or a smart individual can post slightly different content on each of their channels. So what you might post to Twitter and LinkedIn versus Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook um, might vary slightly in terms of the messaging and even in terms of the followings. Um, I'm still a believer in old-fashioned email. Um, I'm still a believer in leveraging your network. So if you're launching something or you're trying to get awareness, emailing your friends, and, and again, back to the comment I made, don't be afraid to ask for help, and have some humility, and say, like, I'm, I'm starting something, and would love you to check it out, and give me your, your feedback, and, um, you know, take that feedback into account. Um, I mean, press is fantastic. I think the impact of press is different, maybe, than it used to be, so, you know, back, back in the early days of, of guilt, the, the dream might have been um, I mean, it still probably is the dream for most of us, or for most kind of startup brands to be featured in something like Vogue. Um, but that doesn't necessarily convert to um, more consumers and, and more awareness, but it is been a really, really really important stamp of credibility. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in the world of today, maybe be, being featured in more of a digital um, publication, so maybe depending on the business, maybe like a Refinery29, that might actually have more conversion for a startup um, and could be free. I mean, it, it's, if it's, it's not necessarily an ad, it would be an article of some sort talking about something new. But um, even, even the way PR agencies work today, I think, has evolved. You know, influencer marketing, micro-influencers um, has, has really evolved a lot. Yeah, it's so interesting. What do you think the next big thing is in that realm? Oh, gosh. Um, no, I don't know that I'm such a visionary in, in necessarily <laughs> seeing that, but I think it's probably um, along the lines continuing with micro micro influencers and um, for brands. You know, I, I advise a, a bunch of early stage companies, and sure, it'd be great to have a celebrity talk about you and, and organically discover you as, as a new brand. But um, it could be just as effective to have advocates out there who have less than a thousand followers. Um, let's say on Instagram, but they post something and they might get 500 likes. They might have incredible engagement. Um, so I think engagement is, is really um, an important metric too. I mean, a big following certainly will help, but um, you know, do people actually care what these individuals say? And engagement is really important. Yeah, that's really amazing. Um, and I know that you're also doing a lot of uh, consulting and advisory work for um, related companies and also some unrelated companies. How does um, how does that work for you in terms of 
your day-to-day schedule and how, how you're helping these companies? Yeah, so my my full-time role right now is, is definitely with Allergan, and it's it's a lot, um, and I'm traveling a lot, so, so that's um, certainly my priority. Um, but in my spare time, which can be sometimes evenings and weekends, um, I do get really excited and passionate about early-stage companies and um, sharing uh, what I've learned. And, and some of these are companies that I may have invested a little bit in, um, so you know, I, I have skin in the game. I want them to succeed. Yeah, of course. Um, some of them could be more kind of a, a different kind of uh, relationship. So, um, yeah, I think I think that you know, it, it's my way of trying to give back to the ecosystem. And um, you know, I get excited about all types of businesses, but I'd say my I have a soft spot for female founders and mm-hmm. um, and also for for creating companies where, where I can really relate as a consumer because I feel like if I can relate to a pain point that a startup team is trying to solve then I feel like my my intuition and my suggestions are just going to be um, more valuable than a company that goes completely over my head that I can barely understand yeah so as an investor what do you um, what, what about the company makes you want to invest so I mean, I'm 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 not a professional investor. I think it's um, for me not always like a specific formula, but I, ha- I have to believe in the people, so the team, um, which really starts with the founder. You know, does this person have a track record of success? It doesn't necessarily have to be that they've founded a business before, but you know, is this person a go-getter? What what are they gonna do when the going gets rough? Because I promise you, all startups have really tough, challenging moments, and so can this individual um, kind of weather the, the storms that will come. Um, you know, is this per- does this person have any um, inherent advantage in creating this business over, or, or the company have an advantage over others that might want to um, do something similar? What is that competitive advantage? Um, and then I think just for me, it's, it's sometimes a gut instinct of being excited about the product, the brand, um, the vision, um, or the pain point. That it's like, oh my gosh, I have that pain point too. It would be amazing if, um, if someone could really solve that. Pain yeah, point. I feel like that's so cool. Um, well, because this is Beauty Bosses, we like to ask all of our guests to tell us a little bit about what beauty means to them. And you know, you've done all of these amazing things in fields that are related to beauty, medical aesthetics, shopping, fashion, organization, glamour. So what does beauty mean to you? Wow, that's such an important, awesome question. I really think beauty comes from the inside, and I think that comes from um, my grandmother's and um, you know, my, my grandmother my mother's side who was from Cuba, you know, in my mind she was this incredibly beautiful woman because she was happy and she was smiling and um, you know, even though she'd had challenges in her life, she she was always smiling through through those challenges and um, you know, that to me was beautiful and she cared about her appearance certainly and um, this was before the time of medical aesthetics, um, but she she would um, you know, I learned a lot of the beauty habits and routines from her and from my mother, um, you know, whether it was um, 
you can contain yourself. But I, I do think that beauty comes from within. I mean, you can see very well-coiffed, well-groomed women who, if you can see that they're miserable, unhappy people, that's not beautiful to me. I think you yeah. can kind of see people's happiness through mm-hmm. um, through their eyes, through their smile, through you know, through through all of that. So I think beauty um, comes from within, and um, there's so many aspects make one beautiful and I think being comfortable with with who you are and um, having some self-confidence but coupled with a bit of humility uh, I think is is important. Yeah that's so nice and what does it mean to you to be a boss because now in these different roles that you've had you have managed all kinds of different people at all levels in big corporate structures and smaller ventures startups existing companies um, are there any kind of common threads about um, being a boss that you think are pretty salient? So I'm learning every day, um, <laughs> but I would say that um, I, I think I'm most effective as a leader when I understand what makes a person tick and, and recognizing that we're all motivated really differently. And so having one message for a team, whether it's a team of five people, 50 people, 500 people, that one message might not resonate equally. Um, so trying to figure out what language can I speak with each of my team members um, so that it will motivate them. Um, so I think being, being a good leader, a good boss means trying to have an understanding of how your team members um, perceive the world and perceive information and how they want to be led. Okay, amazing. Um, as a little thank you for being our guest, I would love to gift you a product from my skincare line, Scientific Beauty. Um, if you have any you know, particular needs or concerns or anything like that, we have a great eyelash serum or lip comfort, SPF, I would see anything. And it, it all sounds amazing, but <laughs> since you're the expert, why don't you tell me what you think I need? <laughs> okay, well, we'll take that offline, but we'll. Um, will you know get you a great product love it Um, this has been so amazing and interesting you're such a role model to so many people Um, i love that you're a strong woman a mother a professional an entrepreneur a team player and an individual and a fashionista to boot Um, so it's been such a pleasure to have you um, on our show and i wanted to really thank you from the bottom of my heart Oh, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome.